Dear brethren, greetings to all of you. Let the peace of God we be with every one of you, wherever you are, especially on this beautiful day that God separated for us out of love for us. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. Dear brethren, Jesus Christ was asked a question that uh, you all know, but it's good to remind us at this time. Many of these things we know, but uh, it's interesting that God uh, wants us to keep keeping the feast day, year after year. And there is always a new dimension coming, new understanding, and if it is not new, it's important to remember and keep in mind. My friends, I invite you to go to the book of Matthew, if you please. The book of Matthew, chapter 22. And let's examine this scripture here in verse 34. Matthew, chapter 22, and verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And we could make a whole sermon about that one, brethren. What does it mean, each part that he mentions there? It has a tremendous meaning. It could help you to study it in the Psalm 119, brethren, just as a passing comment. Verse 39. And the second is like it. You know, they didn't ask him about the second one. But he intentionally included the second one, the second greatest commandment, that it doesn't go without the first. We don't love the neighbor whom you see, and we say we love God, that we don't see we're liars. So he's certainly making it clear for us, and he stayed here, and it will be there forever, my dear brethren. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That means that all the law and the prophets had to do with love. Love to God and love to our neighbor. That's the foundational thing he's given there for us that we should keep in mind. Now, brethren, I would like to repeat something Mr. Weston mentioned two weeks ago, and I think it's a, po a point that will help us and help some of us to understand why God has inspired and guided the leadership of His church from He is the head to ask us to take precautionary me measures to protect our brethren. And that 
has to do with the use of masks. And even abstaining for a while, brethren, of singing in the congregation, which God allows out of a dimension of his law called mercy, that sometimes the law or the exhortation of the law is, of course, to sing. But sometimes in extenuating circumstances that had to do with the life or death, like we just heard in the announcements, then some measures God allows the leadership to take as simple as this. Christ said to the Pharisees when they were criticizing his disciples because they were plucking ears in the field and eating on the Sabbath. And they were condemning them. And Christ said, Do you remember when David went, where he was hungry and him and those that were with him? You can find this in the book, chapter 12 of the book of Matthew. How he ate the bread of present that it's not lawful for anyone else but the priests to eat when they are taken away each week from the presence of the Lord. And God allowed that in unique circumstances. And he guided a leader, a high priest, to make that decision. So they have the authority in extenuating circumstances because of love. That's why mercy is part of the law. If mercy were not part of the law, brethren, we would be all lost. We are gone. There would, be, there would be no forgiveness. And God allows those things, and I can give many other examples that Mr. Weston very wisely gave to us two weeks ago. Now, let's continue with this concept. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That means everything that is written there, there is a fundamental principle behind those two commandments. Now we have to keep in mind to understand the law and to understand how to apply it in our daily lives. And when it's very different, to go to those that God had appointed in the place where he has chosen, like is written in the law in chapter 17 of the book of Deuteronomy. I won't go there. But amazingly, the parallel between that law there and what happened in the book of Acts in chapter 15 are just amazing to see exactly how Paul in Antioch, when they came to ask about the circumcision that they had to be circumcised, the Gentiles, for them to be saved, and there was a no small discussion about it. Paul didn't say, I am here, I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take care of this matter. No way. He knew what the law said. And they, him and Barnabas and others, did exactly what is written in Deuteronomy. Let's go up to Jerusalem, the place God has chosen. And we ask the elders. And then they will make a decision and we will follow it. Just like that, my dear brethren, it applies in the new covenant. Because Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to magnify the law like it was written in Jeremiah, I mean, in the book of Isaiah, he came to teach us this new spiritual, more profound 
making the law even more binding than before. So, if on these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets, <clears throat> we can take some laws that were written that Christ did not come to abolish, but that today we use to give us a principle so we can make decisions. And the leaders make those decisions and they will teach us how we should apply them. And it has to do with love. So let's go to chapter 21 of the book of Exodus. And you remember, Paul used scriptures like, you would not muscle an ox who, you, who thread, thread the, the wheat. And he said that applies to the ministry. Amazingly, you know, where he says, do not be unequally yoked. It was a law about not having an ox and an ass plowing together. And here, it has a spiritual application. It's not being abolished, but it has a clear application on not to be unequally yoked with someone who is not under the same law, the same covenant. The yoke means the law of God. It is written in Jeremiah, my dear brethren, if you want to look for it, there is inter interpreted by God how the yoke means the law. That today is right for us, dear brethren, I've been asked sometimes in the Spanish world if I would perform a marriage with a member, with someone that is not a member. It has very good intentions. But I remember that law. Don't be unequally yoked together with the unbelievers. And all what God, Paul, Paul says right there. So I tell them, you are not under the same law. You are not under the same yoke. You are not keeping the Sabbath. I would say to the one who is not converted, either the lady or the man. There are things that are not equal here. You are not in full harmony. I cannot perform that marriage. And uh, of course the church, if someone wants to do it, they will have to bear the consequences. But me as a minister, I cannot do it. Because God commands us not to do it. And it's based on a law that says you shall not plow with a, with, an, with a donkey and an ox. So here, let's look at this principle. Very interesting. Because Christ said, and uh, we are exhorted in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, where David says, I think it's David, that Psalm doesn't have the name of the author, but it reflects the heart of a man according to God's heart, who loves his law. He said, open my eyes, that I see wonderful things out of your law. We should learn that, brethren. If we're going to be in the kingdom of God, we need to use those same laws and know exactly how to apply them in practical situations. And let's look at this and see how clearly God has guided the leadership of his church and that is founded in the law of God. With, after all, if we obey that law, we are obeying the second greatest commandment when it's love to the neighbor, and the first and greatest love to God. So let's read in chapter 21 of the book of Exodus, verse 28, and Mr. Weston mentioned this, but I just want to repeat it, because sometimes repetition is the best kind of emphasis. It says, If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall be surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. 
but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. That's the first part. Second part. But if the ox tended to thrust with his horn in times past, and he has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined, so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner shall be put to death. What does this mean? According to the law of God, we should take precautionary measures to protect the life of our brethren. And this law is teaching us that. Thus, it hangs, the whole law hangs on it. It's love to the neighbor. So, the rest of the law says, in a case like that, they allow the owner probably to rescue his life. But the first thing he says is that he will put to death. I mean, he is responsible for that oxen killing someone because he did not take precautionary measures to keep him from doing it and keep that animal confined. It was a danger. He did not do what the law says he ought to do. So he is responsible for the life of the one who died. That's what the law says. Now let's look at, uh, at the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 22. And we have another law which is based on the same principle. It says in chapter 22 of Deuteronomy and verse 8, When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring blood guiltness on your house if anyone falls from it. Again, it's a law that God establishes here for us to be concerned for the safety of our neighbor. And if someone doesn't put that parapet or that battlement around his terrace where people would go and sometimes have evenings together and have social life because it was too hot in the summer. If someone falls because the owner did not do what the law of God says to do to protect his life, he says there will be blood guiltness. That means against the owner. He is responsible for the death of someone who fell because he did not take precautionary measures. Brethren, it's exactly the same thing today. God is commanding us through his church, through his leadership, to apply these principles. Because this is not a light matter, this coronavirus. We just heard on the announcements that some of our brethren have been infected. So it can, and it's a serious thing. And God commands us to take precautionary measures to protect the life of our brethren. If someone ignores these exhortations from the law, I mean, not exhortations, these are commands from the law of God, to take precautionary measures to protect the life, that's the principle that is taught here of our brethren. And you go without a mask, and sometimes I have to confess, I have not always taken the, all the the precautions, but I will, I will take them. And of course, I am more at risk than most people because of my age. But anyway, if someone says, no, God will take care of it. I don't need a mask. And he's not taking the precautionary measures. And he happens to be a carrier. Even he doesn't know he is. And he infects someone who has pre-existing conditions or who gets sick because of his close contact because he did not take the precautionary measures, 
Brethren, if we do that, we are guilty of the death of those people. Exactly like the Lord says here, because we do not apply that principle of love to the the brethren. And if we pretend to say, no, I'm I'm going to ignore those laws, and I'm going to do it, I'm going to go without a mask because I have faith. Brethren, that's not faith. That's tempting God. Because I want God to take another measure where He has already ordered me to take some measures. That's the simple answer to that. So, some people are confused. But they should go to the law and ask God, please, Father, help me to understand how I apply those principles. When Christ was told by the devil to jump off from the pinnacle of the temple, what did Christ answer? You know, God created laws. And He expects us to, to avoid dangers that are not necessary, not to take unnecessary risks. The devil was practically saying to Jesus Christ, jump out there and force God to come and rescue you. In a way, to put work, God to work to my whims, to my own desire, to my own thoughts. Christ answered, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And that's exactly what we should do now, brethren. If God has established a principle of taking precautionary measures, and we don't take them, expecting that God is going to take care of it somewhere, some other way, when He has instructed us in His law to take those measures, we are tempting God. And that's not faith. That's the breaking of a commandment, brethren. And it's a dead faith because it's not backed up by works and by obedience. We cannot be forcing God to take precautionary measures that we can take. It's that simple, brethren. We cannot make God to act according to our whims. We should submit to the principle of His laws and obey them and not expect Him to come to the rescue when He has already set a law to avoid those risks. So I hope, brethren, that will help you. And uh, continue on the same subject, brethren. I would like to go now to the book of John. If you would come there with me, my dear brethren. The book of John, chapter 13. Chapter 13, and verse 34. The book of John, chapter 13, and verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Brethren, why is a new commandment? I think all of you know the answer to this. And I don't pretend to exhaust this subject of law, which is sublime. And But God had already said in the law, but he came to magnify the law, like is written in the book of Isaiah. And uh, he had already, in the book of Leviticus, established the law to love your neighbor. Let's look at that law, if you please, for a moment. In chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I am the Lord. Okay. God commands us to do that. But Jesus Christ comes and adds something to that law, which is a new commandment. Because it was not specified here that we should love our neighbor like God loves us, but Christ certainly makes it very clear for us right here in chapter 13 of the book of John, of the Gospel of John, and verse 38. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then he repeats it several times. Chapter 15, verse, 20, verse 12, we see how Christ repeats this commandment to make emphasis so it sinks in our minds and hearts. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And if is that not enough, in verse 17, he repeats it again. That's the third time on that last Passover he spent with his disciples. These were some of his last instructions when he was still in the flesh. Chapter 15, verse 17 of the same book of John. These things I command you, that you love one another. And of course, he already explained. Now, brethren, I ask the question, how in the world can we love each other as Christ loved us? He is God. How can we measure up to the one who was God from eternity and became flesh and be God? He, he allows, he subject himself to death to rescue all of us from sin, and from eternal death. How in the world can we love one another with that kind of a love? Do we have that power? We don't have that power, brethren. I think you have reflected about that. How in the world can I fulfill that commandment that he repeats several times, that you love each other like I have loved you? And he, he explains here, in chapter 15 also, <clears throat> in, he explains... Uh, in chapter 15 verse 12 let's repeat it this is my commandment that you love one another as I loved you greater love has no one than this that to lay down one's life for his friends now he's giving us a guideline there now we could certainly die for someone else Christ died for all humanity. So it's a big difference. But we could show that type of love if we are willing to give up our life to save someone else's life, like Christ did, but in a very minuscule way, individually, which will not have the reach of the death of the one who made all of us. It's a great difference. Now, how in the world... We can fulfill that commandment, brethren. I think you know the answer. The answer is very simple. We have to let him do it through us. There is no way we can do it ourselves. 
He has promised. And let's read those scriptures which are very inspiring. He has promised he would come and live inside us. So I cannot compete with Christ about loving my neighbor. I have to let him do it through me. We have to let him do it through us. That's the only way. But what is our task there is to clear the way for him to be able to use us as instruments so we love each other as he loved us. Because it's he himself who is doing it. Our task is to let him do it, but our task is to clear the way for him to be able to act through us. How do we clear the way? We'll get that to that point in a moment, my dear brethren. It says in chapter 14, let's read this to see how he can do it. And how we have to be aware and meditate on these things. And think that he is the one who will do it through us, but we have something to do. We have to clear the way. How do we clear the way? That's the big question. I'm sure many of you know the answer, but it's interesting to study it. It says, Jesus in chapter 14 and verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That is the first thing. Keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. Though, if we believe this, we're going to see the Apostle Paul says that Christ will live by faith, because we believe this in our hearts. So, let's look at other scriptures that are amazing to see what God is doing with us. And that he has done his part, and he came to teach us to do our part, so we can do through us, and fulfill that commandment. Through being us, his instrument, he can transfer that love that flows from him to our brethren. But we have to get out of the way. Let's see a little bit more about these promises, so we can have a clear vision. He is saying that if we keep his word, he and the Father... Of course, through the Spirit, we, he says, we will come to him and make our home with him. Amazing. And how do they do that? By the Spirit. They are still sitting in heaven. But that's the amazing thing. They give us a part of themselves. Their Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, which is also the Spirit of Christ because they are one. The Spirit of love. They give it to us. And they have a presence within us like they had a presence in the ark. Remember in the ark there was a holy of holies where the law was kept inside that place where only once a year the high priest could go. In the new covenant, God says, I will write my laws in their hearts and I will write them, I will put them in their minds and then he says the other way, chapter 8 and chapter 10, I will write them in their minds and put them in their hearts. What does that mean? If this body is the temple of God, there is a place inside us called the Holy of Holies. And that is where the law of God is written. And when Christ and the Father come to live through the Spirit and to give us the power to transfer that love. 
to the brethren and to the world as a light that we should be. Let's look at Romans. No, let's look at another scripture. To Yeah, Romans 5.5, 5, brethren. I'm sure you know these scriptures. To see how, how God does this for us, brethren. It's just amazing. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, we confirm this vision. It says, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God, there it is. That's the only way we can obey that commandment. It's His love in us. It's not our own. What we can produce, there's no comparison. It would be impossible to obey that commandment. For He's given us what we need to obey that commandment and make it a reality in our lives as a foundation of the glorious future that is ahead of us. To be one with Christ, we should be, even from now learning, to be in one with the Father. That unity only love can produce. And it says here in chapter 5, verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God, so we have that hope, the love of God has been poured in our hearts. There it is. He can do it. But we have to allow him to do it. That's our task. And then he says, by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And he says, in the heart. Brethren, the Bible is telling us that's the Holy of Holies. In this body who is the temple of God, as written in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think you know that. Our body is the temple of the presence of the Spirit of God in us. And it's deep inside us. And it's His love who is pouring our hearts. And it's His Spirit. He's part of God. And God is love. So part of His essence is in us. It's that love who is pouring our hearts. And then Christ said, If someone believes in me, out of his bosom, that means in some versions, out of his heart, shall flow rivers of living water. And where those rivers of living water flow from, from the very throne of God, brethren. Let's look at it and compare those scriptures in uh, John chapter 7. And see the magnificence of what God wants to do with us, brethren. And transferring us His very nature. So He can work through us and fulfill that sublime commandment. In chapter 7 of the book of John. It says here. Chapter 7, and verse 37 of the book of John. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart... Uh, this version says it very clearly. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That means that the presence of the Father and the Son is there through the Spirit. And what happens in the third heaven, God makes it happen inside these poor little things that we are, piles of dust. But he wants to transform us in glorious beings with a body 
according to his own glory, to the Father who begot us without the Spirit. And he says here, He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Where in the Scripture is there? Keep your little hand there for a moment, and look at the Proverbs chapter 4. And there is mention of that in the book of Proverbs. It says here, Chapter 4, the book of Proverbs, it says, in verse 23, we read, Keep your heart with all diligence. Remember that's what the law is written. Once we are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, it comes to dwell in the Holy of Holies of this temple of ours. And Paul says in Ephesians that Christ will live in us by faith, by this profound conviction that he lives in us. He says in verse 23 of chapter 4 of the book of Proverbs, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Christ was referring to that scripture when he says, He who believes in me, uh, the scripture says, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Mr. Upton used to say that the law of God who is written in our hearts are the canals or the channels where the Spirit flows. That means the obedience to the law of God, which is love, according to John. First John chapter 5, verse 3. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. They are not heavy. If we keep those commandments from our heart, from a clean heart, then the Spirit will flow from there. It's in the measure that we obey, and we keep those commandments even in the spiritual application that we will be able to obey that commandment of love our brethren as Christ loved us because it's He Himself and the Father through us who is doing it. And, and look at that. It says, out of His heart will flow rivers of living water. And we already established that their laws, according to the new covenant, are written in our hearts. And that's where the laws were written in stones, in ta- tablets of stones, in the ark, in the holy of holies. In the new covenant, like Christ said to the Samaritan woman, when she said, shall we worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem? Christ said, the time is coming and now is when the true worshippers will love the Father in spirit and in truth. Not here, not in Jerusalem. That's where the church will be. That's where his disciples will be. That's where the presence of God is now. It's not in a physical temple. It's in this physical temple of ours, but that God has transformed in the temple of his presence when we have followed his instructions of being baptized and repented and our heart has been purified by the blood of Christ, so the presence of the Father can come in. But amazingly enough, what Christ describes in chapter 7, 37 of John, out of his heart with flow rivers of living water, that's exactly what happens in the third heaven where God lives. Let's look at chapter 22 of the book of Revelation, brethren, and you see the parallel is astonishing. Chapter 22, to see the calling we have, and the commandment we have, and the obligation we have to clear the way so that the rivers of living water can flow through us. We will see that it's our spiritual immaturity who keep us 
from being those instruments that God wants us to be. And we ought to be working on it day by day. We'll see how in a moment. In chapter 22, in verse 1 of the book of Revelation, look what it says. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. What Christ said, chapter 7 of the book of John. Rivers of living water is the same words, the same vocabulary. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of, and of the Lamb. What happens over there, brethren, happens in miniature inside us if we really are disciples of Jesus Christ. You will really have His Spirit in us, dwelling in His laws, written in our hearts. And we are striving day by day to keep those laws, so the channels that those laws represent be the ones that God uses to let His Spirit flow from us and be to the glory of God if we are fruitful. It's an amazing thing, my brethren, what God is doing with us. So I hope you keep this in mind, that picture, and it's even greater. Let's look, for example, to the book of Ephesians, how Paul describes these brethren, which uh, is an amazing, it's like a crescendo. We start looking at that concept and see it's getting bigger and bigger and more and more meaningful. Let's look at the book of Ephesians, brethren, in chapter 4. No, chapter 3 and verse 14, the book of Ephesians. Let's see how the Apostle Paul confirms this picture that God is giving to us a little bit here and a little bit there. In showing where the temple of His presence, His laws are written inside us, and His Spirit lives right there. His presence dwells in us through the Spirit as He dwells up in the third heaven and he's looking at us day and night because he's transforming us day by day in the glorious creation. He's about to appear on the sound of the seventh trumpet. If we are diligent, we'll be there and fulfill that amazing purpose that God is doing through us. Let's look at chapter 13, excuse me, book of Ephesians chapter 3. And see how Paul describes this same thing. And there are other scriptures that do it. I don't pretend to exhaust them all. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, 14. Verse 15. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. There you are. Right here, we are his family. We are part of him that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man. There you go. God wants us, if we stay close to him, if we keep that fire burning, and that lamp burning in our being, he will make us grow. He will transform us from glory to glory into the same image, like is written in Second Corinthians 3. Oh, he's doing an amazing work, brethren. And the love that we will manifest to the brethren that we cannot produce 
will be the love proceeding directly from the Father and Jesus Christ to us and the brethren. And it says here in verse 17, listen to this, chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. There you have it confirmed that Christ may dwell in your hearts like he dwelled in his presence in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, where on top of the ark, where the laws were written inside the ark, which is the foundation of his kingdom. And we're being prepared to be part of that kingdom if we act and think and do what he commands us to do and let him manifest that power that he has put in us. Chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. There it is. Amazing. Sometimes I think, are you there? It's amazing, brethren. Through his spirit, he said, we'll make home in us. That's how intimate he wants us to be with him and the Father. To be one with them and one with each other. Like one body. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It takes a conviction, brethren, to live according to that reality. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Well, you see how faith and love is combined. Well, first is love. If we are not acting according to the laws of love, we are not acting according to faith, like I explained at the beginning. May be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height? He mentions four dimensions here. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. We cannot fully comprehend what God is doing with us, brethren. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's talking to human beings, the Apostle Paul. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How do we achieve that? That's the only way we can obey that commandment. You shall love each other like I have loved you, like Christ said. It's the only way. Otherwise, we cannot do it. And then Christ says the following. This is what we have to do, brethren. In chapter 15... Of the book of John. Let's see what he says. Chapter 15. Of the book of John. He says. In verse 12. Chapter 15. Verse 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another. As I have loved you. I repeat this. Because it is very big for our minds. What God is doing in us, brethren. Greater love has no one than this, that you lay down one's life for his friends. No, we, we could do that in an occasion and just die <clears throat> for the brethren. Is there other way we can do it, brethren? Day by day? Christ gave a principle. Of something we have to do. So his love can flow from us to the brethren. Let's look at it in Romans 
chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we will understand what he meant. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. But it says, the old man was crucified with him by the baptism. But brethren, it's something we have to keep doing day by day. And it's in the measure we take radical measures with this concept. And we force ourselves day by day to put to death that old man. That's what Christ used in chapter 10. Let's look at chapter 16 of Matthew, brethren. And he gave all the instructions how we can achieve that so that he can do it through us. That's the secret. In chapter 16 of the book of Matthew, Christ gives us the key. In verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, and he is implying, if you are going to let me work through you, we'll see it. Let him deny himself. What does that mean? Put to death the old man. Crucified. And he says, And take up his cross and follow me. What is the cross? The cross is an instrument of death, brethren. That means that we have to be willing to let that old man die day by day. Even Paul said it in, in 1 Corinthians. I die daily. Because this discipline. That's the disciple. Who disciplines himself. He puts to death. Everything that is contrary. To the law of God. He puts it. We have to put it to death. Day by day. That's what we need. To pray day by day. And we need to be fed with the word of God day by day. Because otherwise the old man will come up. And we will be overcome instead of being overcomers. And only overcomers will enter the kingdom of God. Those that endure until the end. As long as we are in this flesh, brethren, we are subject to temptation. As long as we live. In this material body, we have a daily struggle to keep Christ alive in us through His Spirit and kill, put to death everything that is in the way for Him to be manifested through us. That's why He say, take Him up His cross and follow Me. Put to death that old man, day by day. If when you look, to, you look in He repeats it in, twice in Matthew. He repeats it in the book of Mark and twice in the book of Luke. So that stays within our minds and hearts. Without that principle, we cannot fulfill that law. To love each other like he loves us. Because we won't let him do it. Our carnality 
and our immaturity will be in the way. So he cannot work through us. So, let's read here in chapter 9, verse 20, book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, Luke 9, verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me. What does that mean? Why do we go after him? Because we want to be one with him. He's the husband of the church. And his supreme and sublime prayer before he died was, Father, let them be one with me and with you. And this is the only way we can achieve it, brethren. And it takes a daily effort. And God gives us the power to put to death that old man, like we repented before baptism, but we have to keep it dead, day by day. That's our discipline. That's why we are disciples. That's why it's a narrow path. Because sometimes when we deny ourselves, we feel we are dying, brethren. When there's a big temptation, well, that's why it's written also, resist the devil, he will flee from you. If a temptation comes, brethren, and it's clear in our heads, I have to put to death these desires and these tendencies so I can follow Christ. The devil will flee from us. He might insist for a while, but if we endure and cling to Christ, he will flee from us until a new season comes. He will try it all the way to the end to defeat us. But we have been offered the power to defeat him by resisting him, by denying ourselves. That's what Eve and Adam didn't do. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was pleasant to, to be eaten. It was important to acquire wisdom, my own wisdom, apart from the wisdom of God. That's what we have to deny. What they didn't do is what we are asked to do now, day by day, my dear brethren. So we are not part of this world who functions according to that. According to the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, we are, that are contrary to the law of God. Not everything. God had a garden full of delicious fruit they could eat. God doesn't want us to deny us everything and be miserable. He wants us to enjoy life, abundant life, but it's the life that comes from Him where we put to death what is not according to His law and we take it to heart thinking, I have to crucify these tendencies in me so Christ can live in me day by day. And I can be in harmony with my brethren, forgiving, forgetting. Look at this, 9.23. Then he said to them, to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, this is the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me, in a way, you follow me, all the way to whom I guiding you. Where is he guiding us? To the marriage of the Lamb, to the presence of the Father, to rule in his kingdom as one with him. That's where we are following him day by day, brethren. We feel in us the laws that we are going to teach the whole world to obey. But we are not faithful in what is little. We are not qualified to teach the world. We are giving that opportunity day by day. Then he said to them all, 
If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That's our part. Clear the way. Don't let your immaturity stay in the way so that Christ cannot work through us. We're going to see some examples. And take up his cross. That means deny yourself. Crucify those desires. Radical. You know the violent take up the kingdom by force. That's what it means. You take it to heart. Not half and half, brethren. Like in the time we're living now. The time of distractions. When our contact with God. The devil is trying to cut at every moment. To watch too many videos. To watch too much. You know, social networks, and to keep us far from the contact with God and Jesus Christ. The age of distraction that make us lukewarm, shallow laudicens, and foolish virgins. That's what comes out of the environment in which we live if we not deny ourselves and follow Christ and stay close to Him and not to the Networks that are there with all kind of gossip that is destructive. We can be informed. We know prophecy like it's been explained. We know where the world is going. Is going. We don't need to be listening to everything. The last conspiracy that came up. Wasting our time. We have to be busy, brethren. Keeping our contact with God. And busy in this work. Preparing ourselves day by day. To rule the world. That's what we do when we deny ourselves. Let's go now. To the book of Galatians brethren. And we see what I'm trying to tell you. Put in very clear terms. What do we find here in this book? And I want you to read. Galatians 2. In verse 20. And see how Paul achieved what I'm trying to convey to you. And how this verse was the favorite verse of our beloved presiding evangelist, Dr. Meredith. Who tried to live by every word of God. And he exhorted us to do so ourselves. What does he say here? Look at this. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. What is this? Exactly what I have just read to you from Matthew and from Luke. Take up his cross every day and follow me. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Like he said it to the Ephesians. When he speaks of the fullness of God, he had it because he was crucified. He crucified his own tendencies day by day. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is telling us he achieved that by applying the principle Christ gave. You want to follow me? Deny yourself. Take up your cross every day and follow me that's the discipline of a disciple of Jesus Christ brethren 
Now let's look at the same letter and we see how beautiful everything fits in this work of God. Chapter 5, verse 16 of the same epistle. I say then, chapter 5, verse 16, walk in the Spirit. There it is. Follow Christ. What is the Spirit? It's the presence of Christ in us through faith. And not only of Christ, the presence of Christ and the Father. If we walk in the Spirit, we walk in their presence. And we deny ourselves if we don't obstruct the influence of the presence in us so it can flow through our obedience to the channels of the laws written in our hearts. I send them, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That, what does that mean? Same thing. What did Christ say? You want to follow me? Deny yourself every day. Take up your cross and follow me. Every day, every evening, when we pray before God, before we go to sleep, and in the morning, we have to have these thoughts in mind. And it's amazing, the, the fruit that it produces. Sometimes it's hard because you feel you are dying. But that old man wants to come up. And we are violent enough in the spirit to put it to death. Sometimes we feel we are dying when we don't say what we want to say. When we don't offend like we want to offend and return evil for evil. And we restrict ourselves from doing it. It might be hard for a while, but it produces long-lasting fruit of peace. Like is written also in the law. If we follow Christ, we might feel we die from time to time. But the fruit that comes, that flowing of the Spirit, is no comparison. For it takes the discipline to experience that peace that surpasses all knowledge. It takes denying ourselves and let Christ be manifested through us. And then his peace will be in us. For it takes that daily discipline to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ according to the laws written in our hearts and minds. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. That's the old self. Every day he wants, to, he wants to resurrect day by day. You have to put it to death day by day. That's our struggle. We're using the sword of the word of God. We fight with that old man. And put it to death. With the power of the word of God that fills up our hearts, if we are feeling it day by day, because not by bread shall a man live. If we don't do that, we don't have the strength to defeat the old self that comes back and makes great damage. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. What did he say? If a man looks at a woman, to covet after her, he has committed adultery. And if you are not faithful in what is little, you are not only betraying a covenant of marriage with a human being. It can be either the wife coveting a man or the man coveting a woman. 
and this includes pornography. When you look pornography, brethren, and there are people in the church that are addicted to pornography. They are breaking a covenant. If you are married and you look pornography, you are making a transgression. You are committing adultery, even if you are a man or a woman. And if you are single, you are breaking a covenant with Christ. The covenant are the Ten Commandments. And the first thing he mentioned here is adultery. And we practice adultery by being addicted to pornography. And listen to me because there are people in the church, I know it, that are addicted to pornography. They are breaking that covenant. And they are afflicting the spirit that dwells in us. The presence of God in us cannot endure sin when it comes over and over. And they are in danger of losing the spirit and being twice dead. Paul said it very clearly, First Timothy. Look for it. Speaking of widows. Is she a widow? Start living, giving herself to pleasure. That means she start committing fornication. Being alive, she is already dead. That means if you practice sin, you end up losing the Holy Spirit. And it will not come back and you can be called twice dead. This is not a light matter. You are afflicting the presence of God in us. And the Bible says, do not afflict the Spirit, which is the presence of the Father and the presence of Jesus Christ, by transgressing His law. Day by day or whatever it is, watching pornography and committing fornication. If you are single, fornicators go to the lake of fire. Or committing adultery if you are married. And anyway, you are breaking the covenant with Jesus Christ. If you sever that covenant to the point you practice sin again, we can lose the spirit. Like Paul says, of someone who goes back to practice sin. The example is right, very clear. Let me read it to you. I hope I find it here. It's in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. This is not a light matter, brethren. Chapter 5, yes. It says here. <clears throat> I try to find us. 5.15 of 1 Timothy. For some have already turned aside after Satan. I would like to read that to you. I, I know exactly where that is here in my Spanish Bible. I want to find the scriptures. Just to point to you, brethren, how serious this business of addiction to pornography is. It's not a light thing in the eyes of God. God says, do not afflict the spirit. Chapter 5 of First Timothy and verse, chapter 5 and verse 5 and 6. He says, chapter 5, verse Timothy, verse 5 and 6, for we, through the spirit, eagerly wait, oh, excuse me, First Timothy, chapter 5. He says here, 
chapter 5, verse 5 of 1 Timothy. Now, she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. When we go back to practice sin, we end up treading the blood of the covenant in which we were sanctified. And what the Spirit of God goes out of us will not be in the first resurrection. We are already scheduled to die in the third resurrection. And I won't go to all those details now. Well, let's read this, brethren, because I'm here running out of time, but I think if we consider these things are not a light matter. We can sever the bond with Jesus Christ by practicing sin, by being addicted to pornography and sinning in His presence. Remember, to think Christ lives in you with the Father. You are committing sin day after day. God cannot endure that. If we cease of doing, our conscience will be seared. And the Spirit of God will come out. Cannot live in a dwelling like that. Where sin reigns. And not the way of life He taught us. For the flesh lost against the Spirit and the Spirit against the lost. We already read that. Here, verse 19. Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. And I warn you, some people in the church of God commit adultery. Often, they are addicted to pornography. They are betraying the blood of Christ. It's a very serious business. Fornication, same thing for the singles. Uncleanness has to do with the same thing. It's the product of watching it. I won't go into details. Licentiousness. That means you start thinking the love God allows you to do whatever you want. That's the old man. That's the old self coming and ruling over us. Idolatry. We love money more than God. We're not faithful with the tithes and the offerings. We love money more than God. We're breaking his law for something is more important to us. So we have to deny ourselves and obey. Sorcery. Hatred. If we keep grudges, we are murderers. We're breaking the law of God. That's why we have to keep every thought captive. Bring it to the obedience of Christ and put it to death. Make sure we go to Christ and kneel before Him. Even if we've been greatly offended by someone, we have to forgive and forget and that will happen if we don't bring and ruminate the offense, but we put it to death. Someone said, memory is the faculty to forget. In a way it is. If you fight it, it will fall asleep. But if you bring it up, Satan will stir it up and make it bigger than it was. With his special effects he can put in our minds. Contentions. Love covers a multitude of sins. We have to carry each other's burdens. We are exposed to other people's weaknesses. Even if they are not an open sin, 
those weaknesses offend us and we have to be able to long suffer and believe all things like love is and expect all things and know this if we the brethren he's in the hands of God he will learn and he will learn if we give the right example not if we return evil for evil he will learn what he has to learn and if we pray when we are offended like Christ said we pray for that person and listen, we have our own weaknesses. And the others have to endure them too. So that's what if someone is, is taken in an offense, Paul says how he should be corrected. That doesn't mean we have to accept sin. No. If someone breaks the law, we have to restore that person with spirit of meekness, looking at ourselves, lest we are also already also tempted. We cannot sit in the throne like dictators and telling people what they are when we, at that moment, are already breaking something. We can be victims of something equal or worse than we are condemning. But we have to be very careful. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred. He who hates his brother is a murderer and no murderer has eternal life in him. If we keep grudges, we are also afflicting the Spirit of God in us. God cannot live with it because He forgave us with the blood of His Son. We have no right to keep grudges when God has forgiven every sin we have committed. Contentions come out of pride. And when Paul describes love, he says, love doesn't is not boasting. That means it's humble. When there is humility, there are no contentions. So we have to put to death and overlook many things. And if somebody really commits a mistake, we have to go with the spirit of meekness. You can read that in Galatians. In this same, right here, verse 1, 6, 1. Jealousies or envy. We should be happy when someone else is blessed. When they do a better work than we do, let it be for God's glory. He knows what he does. Outburst of wrath, lack of self-control. Selfish ambitions, that's the old man. The carnality, self-centered, not God-centered. Dissensions, same thing. Disagreements, and just keep on and on and on like a dripping with disagreements, we have to overlook love covers a multitude of sins, brethren. If we don't learn to deny ourselves day by day by what our own carnal nature wants to show up in others, we put it to death. We feel we die, but in the end, the effect will be peace. It will come up. It will flow from us like rivers of living water. Dissensions. Heresies. That means divisions. There's division in the church now. It shouldn't be, but there will be divisions. It is written, for those that are approved will be manifested. And that's what's happening now, brethren. That's carnal. When clearly God is doing a work through this church, and the decisions that have been made are based on the law of God. 
not in a false faith. Like I explained at the beginning. Envy. You know, envy is terrible. That's why the brothers wanted to kill Joseph and ended up selling him. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to kill Christ. Envy. That's what Satan wanted to take the throne of God. Envy. Murders. We already spoke about that. Drunkenness. It can be also being drunk with the world. With so much things in our heads. Revelries. And the like which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice, practice, that's where the theme of pornography comes up, and many others, people that are continually in strife. They cannot, they don't have, they are not close enough to God to put to death the desire to start quarrels all the time. They cannot overlook a lot of weaknesses. And God says, carry each other's burden and fulfill the law of Christ. We have to be able to suffer long and be able to endure the weaknesses of those around us because they have to endure ours too. Practice, those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those things will not be in the family of God. We have to put them to death right now and be like Paul, crucified with Christ. Look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. When we put to death those things, we allow the Spirit to flow through us from God who is in us through the brethren. That's what it happens. The fruit of the Spirit is love who suffers long. And if we do it, God will make sure things will go well. If we do things according to his will, he will work out. Our carnality thinks, oh, I cannot endure this. God says, do it. Put it to death. Trust me. And you will, you will enjoy real peace and real love because it's me who is doing it when you put to death your old man. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, when we are in quarrels all the time, it's not joy. When we put it to death, we might feel we are dying, but in the end, the result will be wonderful. Rivers of living water, joy, peace, beyond our understanding, long-suffering. Boy, oh boy, that's the hardest one. Long-suffering. We are close enough to God and convinced that Christ will, will then be manifested through us because we are crucified with Him, then peace will flow, and love will flow, and we'll experience real, abundant, spiritual life. And nothing will disturb us. Those that love the love of God are not offended by anything. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that's how Christ manifests Himself through us, no matter what. Gentleness, self-control. Put to death. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. That's self-control. Essential for Christ to be manifested through us. Listen to this. Against such things there is no law. Listen to verse 24. And those that are Christ's have crucified the flesh 
with his passions and desires. There it is. What Paul did, I crucified with Christ. I repeat, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Put them to death. Crucify them. Follow Christ. And that creates a transformation, a marvelous transformation. When we go from glory to glory, more and more of Christ is manifested in us as we put to death the, the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, I have more things to tell you, but you can, based on these principles, go ahead and study. This is a supreme thing. This is the only thing that would lead us to be one with Christ and one with each other and one with the Father for eternity. 